Hey, this is Nick Berry, and you're listening to the I Know You Hear Me podcast with the one and only I Know You Hear Me champion, Flynn Hendricks. And you can love him or you can hate him, but I can guarantee you he's 100% authentic 100% of the time. There's no one else like him, and the man knows how to market himself. So give the podcast a listen, subscribe, and get ready for a heck of a ride. decals made maybe some vinyl or monograms then you need to go check out my wife's etsy shop at decals by kins that's k-y-n-s go over to etsy.com slash shop slash decals by kins and you can check that in the show notes as well and see what she's done for other people and see what she can do for you and i'm speaking from experience here all of my water bottles my protein bottles they all have something that she's printed and put on there and those things last so if you need something like that for a gift for your family for your kids or even for yourself Go check out what she can do for you. And as a special treat for my listeners, if you use the promo code Flynn, that's F-L-Y-N-N, she's even going to get you 10% off your order. Now, you can't beat that. So go check it out and see what she can do for you. And I know you hear me. Welcome back, everybody, to another awesome episode of the I Know You Hear Me podcast with yours truly, El Rudo Mucho, the one-man enterprise the one-man gold mine, the certified sports entertainer, and the man that is bringing you another awesome guest this week. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners of all ages, however you may identify, this is Flynn Hendricks, and I am welcoming you back for another awesome episode with some awesome audio content. So thank you for being along on the ride. Thank you for being here this long. If you've been a loyal listener from the start, I know who you are and I appreciate you. And for those of you just joining, I appreciate you too. But I need you to do me a favor. Go hop back in the archives. Go subscribe. Go share. Go rate and review. We're on all podcasting platforms. Audible, Spotify, Google, Apple, iHeartRadio. You name it, we're there. And I see that we're popping up in other countries around the world. The audience is still growing. The downloads are still going up. And I am forever grateful. And guys, I have got an awesome guest for you here today. This guy is known in Alabama in the comedy world. He's also involved in the wrestling world. And I've even been a guest on some of his shows in the past, which if you follow me on social media, you've seen me promoting those, you know all about Cheap Heat TV. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Before we get to the interview, though, guys, I want to encourage you to go check out the links in the show notes. Go support my store. Go get a shirt. Get a picture. You want to see a picture of me on Raw with JBL and Baron Corbin? I got it. I'll sign it for you. You want a shirt? I've got those. I'll sign it for you. You want toys? I've got those. Just let me know what you want, and I will get it shipped to you, and a portion of every sale will go to benefit the Nashville Humane Society and St. Jude. So it all goes to a good cause. It helps keep this podcast going, and I've got links for everything in the show notes. But before we get to our interview on the other side, guys, I want to take a quick minute and say a little quick thank you to our sponsors, and we're going to give them a little bit of love before we come back with our interview. Hi, I'm Will Harridge, and I'm an audio engineer. But you would not believe the amount of mediocre voice actors I get in on the daily. It's scary, honestly. 
I always want to recommend them to Elise Bowman, who's the best voice acting coach I know, but I'm always afraid I'm going to offend them and be out of a job. Thankfully, I send the best ones over to her anyway over at EliseCoaches.com, and they keep coming back. Hi, I'm one of the mediocre talents that Will has to work with, and really, I'm thinking about looking up Elise myself. Go look at Elise Coaches today and start your career without ending mine. What he said. All right, guys, we are back, and this is one that I have been waiting for ever since I appeared on this guy's radio show and, well, YouTube show, Facebook show. It's all over the place, so I advise you to go back and check it out. It's called Cheap Heat TV. But anyway, guys, my guest tonight is a stand-up comedian. He's also been involved in the professional wrestling world, and he may or may not be associated with a guy named Whitey Jenkins. Um, you know, that that's that's just rumor and innuendo. But ladies and gentlemen, it is my extreme pleasure to have on the podcast here tonight, Gene Jackson. Man, Gene, thanks for being on here tonight. Thanks for having me, man. I've been looking forward to this. Of course, man. And thank you for having me on your show as well. Like, that was an absolute blast. And I can't, hopefully by the time this airs, I'll have been on there again. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're working on getting that getting that together. Fantastic. I, it's going to be a fun time. That's all I can say. And there may be some... Burnt bridges, I'm bringing some more gasoline, you know, I didn't get to use it last time, so it's stocking up. But yeah, it's going to be fun. Oh, oh yeah, man, we may have to do, we may have to do my one-on-one podcast. Uh, I'm game. It's fun with everybody, but it's a little tricky, uh, as you can imagine. Oh, yeah. Trying to uh, do an interview with, with four people and a guest, so uh, a lot of times I'll bring people on my uh, Jackson Interaction podcast. And oh, I love that name. Dig a little deeper. I love that name. That's fantastic. And I'm all for it. So anytime we can get on there, let's make it happen. But that's enough about me trying to book myself on things. Let's get back to talking about you. Um, so like, I, I want to know like where this love of wrestling and then where the love of stand-up comedy came into your life. Like, Where did this all start for you? Uh, so... So I'm 45 years old. I was born in 1977, mm-hmm. and uh, my dad watched wrestling. He wasn't like a fanatic about it or anything, but I remember, you know, as a kid, he would have it on, and you know, he'd be like, "Hey, come, hey, come, check this out." And I would, you know, run in the room and watch it for a few minutes and leave. But around '86, uh, when I was about nine years old, is when I started to make it a point to watch every bit of wrestling I could find, mm-hmm. uh, which around that time uh, was quite a bit. You oh, know, yeah. The, uh, world Class and AWA on ESPN on a daily basis. Oh, such had, good stuff. Uh, uh, NWA and WWF. I had Memphis on uh, Saturday mornings. I had Continental. Man, you had it all. Um, so I had everything short of uh, Mid-South UWF and... Uh, Portland and a handful of of uh, territories, but I got to see a whole lot of it, and I, I got to where is before we had a VCR, and so if my mom or dad wanted me to do anything, or even my friends, we had to plan our day around when all the wrestling came on. I uh, can't tell you yeah. every time in my life that my mother said, "There's more to life than wrestling, Gene." <laughs> and, uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. So, but yeah, man, I was uh, from that point on. I watched every bit of wrestling that I could find. I read every magazine that I could get my hands on and then later books. But uh, I studied it and uh, probably had what you'd call an, an unhealthy obsession with it to some degree. <laughs> I, I can relate 100% because everything that your mom said to you, all the planning around wrestling, taping it, 
I, I still have boxes in my grandmother's garage of VHSs of WWE from when I got hooked on it. Like, so that stuff, like, it's just, it becomes part of your everyday routine and it gets so ingrained. So I know it all too well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy because from 86 up to about 2000, um, you know, I can tell you pretty much who was champion and when and where they won it and where they lost it and all that. And after that, it gets, it gets a little fuzzy. It all starts to run together. Yeah. Eventually I stop following it as, as closely, but right. Um, right. It's funny because I love going, I was a big tape, <clears throat> tape trader. Oh man. Eventually DVD trader. So I got to, in my 20s, uh, I started tape trading. So then I got to see a lot of that stuff that I'd only read about in magazines. A lot of the UWF, Mid-South, and Portland, Stampede, Florida. Um, a lot of the stuff that I'd only read about in magazines. And so that was that was pretty exciting uh, to finally get to see some of it. Some oh, of it yeah. Hype, and some of it didn't. But it's funny because, like... All my memories as a child and growing up are all attached to wrestling. So, you know, I go on YouTube and watch these old shows, and I used to watch those tapes when I trade for them. And you know, I would I would enjoy watching the wrestling, but it also bring back nostalgia of being a kid and yeah. other memories that are related to it. Trading, you know, LGN oh, wrestling man. figures with my friends. Yep, just all that. You know what I mean? And so, uh, I don't love present day wrestling i don't really follow it as much as right right as a wrestling podcast every week probably should um, eh. but man I, I before we before we went on uh i had i've taken a notion i'm gonna watch all of 1982 mid-south wrestling so i sat here and watched a couple episodes of that while we were getting ready and, oh uh, fantastic that's what i usually put my spend my time doing these days when i'm not you know writing stand up and whatever Waddy Jenkins silliness he's up to at any given time. I got to have that guy on the show at some point, too. But <laughs> Yeah, but I, he's interesting. Uh, that's, that's, that's a nice way to put it, but I, I call him also entertaining as well. But <laughs> I, I get that, though, because like as you're going back and watching 1982, I'm going back and re-watching the pay-per-views from the year that I just got like super glued into wrestling in 2002. And like you said, I could tell you everything from a certain point up to then. There are some things that are probably traumatic that I blocked out, like Vince McMahon pushing a kid in a wheelchair out of a locker room or something like that. But, you know, it's like anything else you want to know, I could tell you because it just, that was it. Well, you know, like in, there wasn't a tape trading scene when I was getting in, but, you know, like there was magazines, anything I could get my hands on, it was all gung-ho, had to do it. But like you said now, like with modern wrestling, a lot of people gravitated away towards it. I kind of got burned out when the pandemic happened and the crowds weren't there. Was there ever a period like that where you kind of gravitated away from it for a little bit growing up and then came back to it? Yeah, and I made it through. So I, I made it up through the nineties. Uh, I was in I was in college when the Monday Night Wars were going on. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I graduated high school in ninety five. So that fall, with Nitro kicked off right as I was starting college. Nice. And so in the dorms, wrestling was kind of cool then. You know? Oh, yeah. It was picking up steam. And then, of course, by the next summer when the NWO came along, I mean, we had a pile of people every Monday night flipping back and forth between Raw and Nitro. And we'd record, you know, one or the other or both. Right. And uh, so I followed it pretty steadily up through 
it's kind of funny because it's kind of around the time that you were getting into it. I was kind of burning out on it to some degree. Right, right. Went away and there was only WWF. The Monopoly, yeah. Uh, I, I started losing interest. I didn't quit following it all together. And then somewhere around, I guess, maybe 06 or 07, um, due to just my job and real life situations at the time, I kind of got out of it. I would read the results online and stuff like that, but I yeah. mostly just kept Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, the, the tentpole pay-per-views, and uh, loosely stay uh, involved with it or, or, I mean, or interested in it. But, right, uh, right. I've never gone completely away, but that's about as far away I got there for a few years. And um, I, I got a divorce in 2009. Ooh. And uh, I started dating a girl who liked wrestling. Her uncle had promoted wrestling here oh, in Alabama really? when she was a little girl. And uh, she, because I mean, that's a whole other element of the story. We don't have to go. go right, 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 right. In 1997 I, I, is when I started training and became and started, got in the business and started wrestling. Okay. And I did it for a few years until I married my first wife. Right. Who hated wrestling. And eventually I got out of the business just because I would have to fight with her for a week before every show and after every show. And it yeah. just wasn't worth the headache. And so. Understandable. I got out of wrestling. I got out of being involved in wrestling directly. But that is when uh, I got into writing articles for uh, Brian Trammell's website, uh, Jimmy Blaylock's website over in Mississippi. Oh, yeah. And kind of became an internet wrestling writer. And then in 07, uh, podcasts started to become a thing, right. Blog Talk Radio, and that's when I started my first wrestling podcast in 2007. That's what I tell everybody now. I'm like, every person who's ever put on a pair of tights at this point has had a damn podcast. It sounds about right, yeah. But in 2007, it was like me, Colt Cabana, and, and two other guys you've probably never heard of, and that was that was it on wrestling podcasts. Yeah. Man, it was so easy to get guests. I mean, I was I was hitting people. This is so long ago. I was hitting people up through MySpace. Wow, that's. And I mean, I, I got Jimmy Hart on my show. At one point, I interviewed Bruno San Martino. Wow, like it was it was great. And then Damn. fast forward a few years later, and people are getting twenty requests a day from everybody under the sun, and it's yeah. you know next to impossible to book anybody name quote unquote name wise. Right, right. Um, but anyway, uh, after we got divorced and I met my current wife, I got back into wrestling. I started wrestling again, uh, was doing the podcast, was writing for these websites, and uh, did that. For, I, I wrestled for a few years, and then I started managing over here at Pro South in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Kind of drifted, drifted into managing for a while. I would manage over here in Alabama, but I would actually wrestle when I went to Mississippi because that's what they knew me for over there. Right, right. And uh, and as of late, I had been managing up until uh, Saturday before last, and this hasn't been said anywhere officially. But uh, we finished up with EPW uh, Saturday before last, and I had told Charles and Scott and Mako that when we finish with EPW, I'm done. Oh man, shows. I'm going 
full on into comedy, and I'll still do the podcast. Right, I'm still right. A wrestling fan, but I'm not going to work shows anymore. And Xander says that he's not either. We'll see how that plays out. Xander has said that before, but, uh, but anyway, so I guess that's kind of an exclusive for your podcast. Fantastic. It hasn't been said out loud that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. Re- I hate it, man. I, I don't know how you feel about this. I hate when people say on the indie level that I'm retiring. Yeah. Like, it's a hobby, okay? If my dad decides he's not going to fish anymore, he's not going to say he's retiring. <laughs> he just ain't going to go fishing anymore. Exactly. You know? He retired from his job that paid his bills. I don't know about you. Wrestling's never really paid my bills. I, I wish it had, but no. Oh, yeah. I mean, so that's why I'm not going to go put a big, long, heartfelt post on Facebook. I'm retiring from the business because... People do that, and two weeks later, they're back in the damn business. Anyway, yep. who's to say? If somebody called me with the right offer... Exactly. Uh, because I don't like managing anymore. If somebody called me with an offer to do commentary and made it worth my while financially, then I would go do that. Yeah. Now nobody's doing that, so I want to do commentary. Man, like... Thank you for the exclusive, first off. But you just gave <laughs> me, like, so many things that I want to tackle right there. Because, I mean, like, the comedy is obviously going to come up. But the managing, the commentary, those are things that I'm wanting to try and transition towards or hopefully get on WWE's radar for because I don't want to take bumps forever. But, yeah. you know, like the the whole hanging up the hobby thing, like I, I thought I was going to retire, quote unquote. I'm doing air quotes here, people. And I've, I've tried that three times and it's never worked. But I, I digress on that. But you're right. It, it never sticks half the time. But... I want to back it up even further than that because you said you started training in 1997. How did you find a wrestling school or someone to train you back then when the internet wasn't as prevalent and it it's not so common of a thing, I guess. Like, how did you find somebody to train you? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to try not to make this be a long story because there's so many rabbit holes we can go down. But as, as <laughs> right. for that... Um, so I was in college and I decided, um, you know, like, hey, I want to, I want to get involved in wrestling. I didn't have money to go throw down to go to the power plant in Atlanta because yeah. that was the most prominent wrestling school at the time. And I saw, so the internet was a new thing. Uh, my college roommate had dial, had a you know dial up connection on his mm-hmm. computer, and so I would get on there and, and read, you know, wrestling stuff and. You know, oh my gosh! I mean, I'd never seen dirt sheets or anything before, so this was my first exposure to, hey, here's who's going to win at the pay per view and right. shit like that. And I was like, well, I don't know if we're supposed to cuss on here, but oh no, you're fine, you're fine. Um, but I saw, I found online where Superstar Bill Dundee had a training school up around Jackson. Wow. Okay. And it had his phone number, so I called Bill Dundee. And I'm like, hey, uh, I'm in college right now. I'm looking to, you know, train to wrestle once I finish up in the fall. You know, what's the lowdown on your wrestling school? And he's like, oh, I'm training a couple of guys up here, you know. And it's uh, $1,000 or some, something ridiculous. Of course, I'm a college kid. I ain't got any money at the moment. So I was like, right. okay, well, all right, man. Well, I'll get back to you. And in the meantime, when I would go back home on the weekends, they were running uh, some wrestling shows down in Columbus at the old Lavender Coliseum where I used to mm-hmm. go see Continental when I was a kid. Right. Pontotoc, some of these little small town shows in North Mississippi. So I started going to a few of them, and after the show one night, I pulled the, the guy who was the ring announcer aside, who also turned out to be the promoter, 
I was like, hey, man, who would I need to talk to uh, to become a manager? Because at first, like, I always thought, like, well, I'm not athletic enough to be a wrestler. I yeah. would love to be a wrestler, but I'm not athletic enough to do that. So, But I would like to be a manager. Love me some Bobby Heenan. Oh, of course. Um, so he said, well, you know, to be a manager, you got to have a manager's license. Because he was a mark. Even though he's a promoter, he was a rate. He was a radio DJ that they had roped into putting these shows on. Right, He's right. Like, you got to have a manager's license. I'm like, well, who do I talk to about that? He's like, you know the guy in the main event a while ago, the main heel, Sammy Hall? Said, yeah, he goes, he's also the uh, athletic commissioner. <laughs> I said, okay. Okay. So, uh, so I, I, I managed to track him down. I'm like, hey, man, I need you to wrestle. <laughs> I started looking back on this now. I can just imagine what he thought. So I need you to wrestle. <laughs> I need you to manager's license. He goes, uh. Have you, have you already been managing? I said, no. Are you trained? I'm like, well, what training do you need to be a manager? He's like, a lot. <laughs> he said, well, look, man, um, I don't have time to go into all of it here. He said, but I do have some guys I'm training right now over around Fulton, which was about an hour from where I lived. Gave me a business card. He's like, give me a call, and uh, we'll talk about it. So I call him up. He tells me where the building is, where they're training. I go there. And there's about six other guys there. And I'm twice the size of anybody there. Wow. So he's like, get up in the ring. And we take a few bumps and do a few things. And we go outside. And uh, I was like, you know, I, I really, you know, I was really just wanting to manage. And he's like, well, if you want to manage, we can make that happen. He goes, but you see those guys in there? I said, yeah. I said, yeah. He said, well, you imagine if you're a fan out in the audience and you walk out to the ring and you're managing one of them and you look like you could whoop three of them, but you're managing one of them. Right. He's like, that don't make sense. He goes, you were able to take all the bumps in there, right? I was like, yeah. He goes, well, why wouldn't you wrestle? I go, if you think I can do it, I'll do it. He goes, it don't matter if I think you can, do you think you can? I'm like, yeah. That's a fair he point. Goes, all right, well, let's do that. And I said, well, man, I mean, problem is, I said, I don't, I said, I just finished college. I'm looking for a job. I don't really have any money to pay you right now. And uh, he's like, look, I like you. You've chased us all around to, to, you know, you want them to do this. He said, just for right now, just show up. We'll worry about the rest of it later. Right. Um, from that point on, I showed up to every training they had. Uh, Sammy Hall never asked me for a dime. I never wow. paid a penny to train. That's uh, a rarity. Training. That's a rarity for oh, sure. Because yeah. the lot of my, of those other six guys, I know at least four of them were paying him. Right. They ended up paying him probably about $1,200. Uh, but anyway, uh, that, there's a lot of stories to go along with that. But, you know, long story short, I trained for a while. I started doing, you know, setting up the ring, doing security. Mm -hmm. One night I get told, hey, somebody didn't show up. You're going to wear this mask and you're going to wrestle. Uh, come up with a name. Uh, okay. And so I had my <laughs> I went out to my car and grabbed, I had the Kiss tape that had War Machine on it. I always right. thought that sounded like a badass song. So for the first few years of my career, if you'll call it that, I was War Machine. Um, but just because of that damn song. But, um, but anyway, that's how I got in. And uh, I, it was, it, 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 it's, it's crazy how little I knew. I mean, I studied wrestling and I knew yeah. wrestling from a fan perspective. But it was crazy how little I knew getting, you know, getting into the ring. And lucky for me, 
one of the vets that worked for him showed him when he, see, when he was training guys, he had different people dipping in and out. Mm-hmm. And so he wasn't completely smartening people up. Like he would teach us to bump. Yeah. But he wasn't really teaching any kind of psychology or anything like that in case you quit. You couldn't go expose the business. Because again, this is 97. And right. Wide open at the time. And a guy pulled me aside one night and smartened me up to everything. Because there was another kid that was there. He had his first match and still wasn't completely smartened up. Wow. We were standing up there. The, uh, There's a little rail at the top of the building where we started our, our first few shows in Saltillo, Mississippi. And you could look down and watch the match. And so me and a couple of guys were watching uh, Tony and this kid named Ricky. And Ricky was having his first match. And I had heard him calling the match in the back, you know, and, you know, Tony, and Tony's like, all right, and, you know, for the finish, I'll shoot you in the corner. I'll charge in, you know, up and over. And, you know, one, two, three. Well, when they get to the finish, well, one thing that during the match, you know, in training it was always, as soon as you take a bump, Sammy's up there, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Well, they never taught him to sell. So in that match, every time Tony would do a move to him, he would beat him to his feet. Man. Finally, Tony is frustrated. He's like, all right, take it home. And I see him shoot him in the corner, and he charges in, and Ricky just stands there. So Tony runs into him. Shoots him to the other corner. And he shoots him back and forth to the corners like five times. Finally, he just puts him in a small package and pins him. And they get to the back, and he's like, I said take it home. And Ricky's like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, Sammy, you've got to smart guys up before they have a match. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Oh, man. In 97, and the great thing was, in 97, height of the Monday Night Wars, NWO, Stone Cold, in that little building in Saltillo Community Center, a suburb of Tupelo, we were packing like 350 people in that building. Damn, that's Probably impressive. First to see a bunch of nobodies. I mean, not a single name on the card. At that time, people were just like, wrestling? Hell yeah, let's go. Right. And, uh, man, started out getting to work in front of great crowds. It was, that's, oh, that's man, fun. that's amazing. So, I, I gotta ask, because you said you took some time off in there, too, and it's a time frame that's longer than any that I've ever taken off. What was it like when you got back into working again? Like, what was it like on your body? What was it like getting back into ring shape? How was that like? It, it, it was rough. Um, it was very, it was, it was very rough. Cause when I got in the ring and took the bumps, I'm like, Hey, I still remember how to do this. You know, right. it's not that bad. And then the next morning, I felt like I had been ran over by a truck. Oh, really yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, at that time, I was I was living in Alabama, and almost all the wrestling I was doing was in Mississippi. So I was only coming over once or twice a month. So, you know, uh, it, it took me a little bit to recover, but I wasn't doing it that often. Right, so right. It wasn't a big deal. And then going back to the managing aspect of it, because that's, that's something that I've done – here and there, but ideally I would love to do on television, and like I said earlier, save the bump card, but Bobby Heenan was a huge, huge inspiration for me as well. The man was a jack of all trades. When you transitioned to that management you know, that management role, what was that like for you? Did you find that having the in-ring experience helped you to you know, help put the shine on the guy you were managing? Did you feel like it helped you know what your role was even better or like what would what helped you get into that position oh absolutely because if 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 sammy would have just sold me a manager's license in 97 when i was asking to be a manager i could have went out there and yelled and screamed and and got heat and and been a you know been a heel as far as that goes right 
But now when I came to Pro South, because the first place I ever managed was in Pro South, and I think it's around 2011-ish, somewhere in there. Um, you know, I had been in and out of the business since 97 and studied it all my life, and most of these guys were just starting out. So I was a shoot manager for most of the guys I managed. Um, I was helping. Now, this was something else I hadn't experienced either because in Mississippi it wasn't like this, but I get there. Mm-hmm. And they're calling the entire match in the back. Oh, which oh. blows my mind. I, yeah, you know, I was I totally. I just you know didn't even occur to me to do that. Right. So, uh, but what my role became is the guys I would manage. I would go with them over there, and I'm like, all right, y'all work out a match, and I would just sit there and listen to them call it. And then when they got done, I go, okay this spot at the beginning this doesn't make any sense what if you did this and we did this here what if we took this out put this in and so i would let them call the match and then i would tweak it for them yeah and by the time we went through that process two or three times because my memory's crap because i used to you know used to get hit and head with chairs as a hobby right right um, but by the time we went through it a few times i pretty well remembered you know the spots and all that <clears throat> and so not only did I, you know, get heat with the crowd and all that sort of thing, but I was able to kind of keep them on track. And also, if we got out there and what they were, what they had planned and what they were doing just absolutely was not working. Yeah. Then I would call an audible, pull my guy out floor and go, hey, we do this. But then a lot of times then the baby face would freak out because they were not prepared for that. Yeah. Um, and so you had to kind of work with that but it was fun because Piedmont man was like going through a time warp like those people over there hated my guts I mean I had so much heat to this day they've got a thing hanging up over there that says you know Gene Jackson most hated man in pro south history <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's beautiful there was one thing back to uh, back to when I was wrestling in Mississippi and I'd only been doing it for a few years and I got to be friends with a guy named Neil Taylor, who currently runs EPW in, in Mississippi mm-hmm. and uh, does production for the Memphis Wrestling Show up in Memphis now. Um, me and Neil was working those shows for Sammy, and I noticed, even as a fan, when I was just going to the shows, that after the show, almost all of the guys would come out and glad hand with the crowd and hug. And so even the guys they had been semi-boo and a few minutes later they're out there hugging them and it's like a damn family reunion after the show right and so i told neil when we start we got started i said look when the show's over we're hanging back here until they clear all these folks out we'll go take the ring down do all the stuff we're supposed to do i'm like we're not going out there hugging folks we're Mm -hmm. not going to go out there and get to know everybody's wives girlfriends and sisters cousins brothers right and I said we're going to be the only ones that has any real heat. Yes, because they're going to think we're like we're going to, they're going to think we're a holes for this. Exactly. And then it worked. And so I took that same attitude with me everywhere I ever went. So it's kind of the same thing at Pro South. Nobody really knew me, and so they had these regulars that were there all the time. And this one old old lady in the front row just I mean hated my I just I mean hated my they all hated me. I mean I, we like. My wife had to quit going because they figured out she was my wife and they yeah. started harassing her. 
and was threatening to do things to our car, and I would have to get security to follow me out to the car and all this kind and of And that's crap. why I keep my family away most of the time. Exactly. But there's this, this one lady, um, her mother died, and so the promoter, Ace Haven's dad, Terry Beatty, went to the lady's uh, mother's funeral. And he said she's standing there at the casket. He walks up to her and he puts his arm around her and uh, pats her on the back. So she turns, looks at him, tears rolling down her face because the week before I had did some, I don't remember what it was, but I had did something to his son. I'd hit him, you know, with something. Right. They took him out, they took him out in an ambulance. Oh, shit. And so, so she, looks at, she looks at Terry and she's like, what are we going to do about that son of a bitch, Gene Jackson? <laughs> and he goes, we're at your mom's funeral. <laughs> She's like, I know, but something's got to be done about him. That woman, when they would hang the posters up around town, she would go around town to each store and take a cigarette and burn my face. Oh, my God. The posters. It was oh, my tremendous. God. Can you just... So, <laughs> can you so manage me? Last night there. All right, I got a promotion with my job and had to move to Kentucky for nine months. Right. So we had to do an angle where, you know, my team lost a match and I had to leave Pro South. So on my last night there, my guys lost, and uh, I, <laughs> so I had to, I had made a bet with the, with the promoter's son. I was like, you know, he goes, well, you know, all, your guys are going to lose tonight, you know, and, and you know, it'll I know it'll kill your heat, but you know, once you come back, we'll build it back up and all this. And I'm like, no, I'll be fine. And he's like, okay, he kind of looked at me funny. So we go out and. You know, they beat my guys like a drum because we had been hitting heat on them, you know, for a year straight. Right, so right. It was time either way. Yeah. Well, after it's over with, that old lady's in the front row and everybody's na 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 goodbye and all that. And so I quiet them all down to get on the mic and I said, you know what? I'm happy. I, I'm over the moon that I never have to come back to Piedmont, Alabama. This is the worst part of my week every single week. And I said, I'm glad I never have to. I said, well, you know what? There's one thing. I said, there's one thing that would bring me back to Piedmont, Alabama. And I leaned out of the ring and pointed right at Olay's face. I said, if you died, I would come back here to piss on your grave. Oh. Said, you know what? I said, no, I wouldn't because I hate waiting in long lines. And I turned and walked out, and I had as much heat when I walked out the door as I did when I come in that night. And that lady come over the rail, and they had to throw her out because she was coming to stab me. My God, that is amazing. I, I thought I got some real heat to these days, but I don't think I can top that. That's, oh my God. That's amazing. I don't know that she hardly can can these days because nobody, but the thing is, like, Terry, uh, he asked her later at that funeral, and they asked a few of them. They were like, why do y'all hate him so bad? And they were like, well, these other guys, you can tell, like, they're playing bad guy, but he really means it. Like, Gene really thinks, you know, he's better than us. Because, and after I heard that, I come out on the mic the next week, and I was like, I want to, I want to, I want to settle something right now. I said, I heard something that, that really upset me, and I, I haven't slept in a week since I heard it. And I said, I heard there's this misconception that people in Piedmont think, that I think I'm better than them. And I said, that, nothing can be further from the truth. Like, I don't think I'm better than you. Like, I know I'm better than you. Yes. You scumbag. Look, look at you. You don't even know who your, your kid's father yes. is. I just went around and roasted Oh, it's amazing. And, uh... <laughs> and, I mean, 
so much so much of what you were doing then is what I do now because there are the people that go out there and you know they're heels but they babyface with the crowd and the crowd knows they're supposed to boo them but I, I I don't do that I either pack my stuff and go or I stay back there and it's the same thing I've heard the same thing I know these guys are playing a part or I know they're playing wrestler and I hate that term I hate it like you either are or you aren't in my mind and you know people think I'm a legitimate asshole so I, I get that and I respect it so much because I mean it's it's good versus evil at the end of the day, and you did your part extraordinarily. That's amazing. I mean, my theory, and that's what I told Terry, is like, look, man, I mean, if you want these people to to pay money to buy tickets to see my guys lose and to see me, you know, everybody get their comeuppance against me, like, they got to really hate me. So yeah. I want to give them a reason to. Absolutely. Said, you know, it, it's, it's not worth what you pay me to come here if I'm not going to do that. And I understand nowadays, you know, everybody needs to make extra money, but... You, you can't go out there and get any real heat and then be out there at intermission right. selling t-shirts and signing autographs and wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's all, you know, it's all, and you're, and most of the time, and most of the shows, they're six feet away from the guy they just wrestled. Yeah. I mean, I have watched, I, I have watched local shows where they have done heated angles where somebody bloodied somebody. I was at a show where they tried to act like they were hanging somebody. And at intermission, they were 10 feet apart as the guy had blood crusted on his head. And they were standing 10 feet from each other, signing autographs, taking pictures. And I I felt like Jim Cornette. I'm like, this this shit has passed me by. Like, I can't, I can't do it. My God. Uh, I, uh, I, I can't even imagine. And I can't even, I don't, I'm surprised somebody let them go out and do that. But, man, I, I don't know. Well, you know, that's the kind of thing me and Xanders and Scott and, talk about on the way back and forth from these shows is like there's nobody back there like even the people that run the shows now don't know any better yeah there's no one back there to set them straight just like when we you know we showed this promo on the podcast from new south where the little girl that's the heavyweight champion who's four foot tall came out and was dropping f-bombs at the sparkman civic center in front of you know men women and children and you know we called that into question of because obviously they're killing the town because I was there. Yeah, I managed Jeremy Flint at the first New South show. Oh, I love trailer, that guy. And that building was packed. And in this video where little Kinsey's out there cussing out Cabana Man Dan and dropping f bombs, you look around and behind them, there's 40 people there, if that. Yep. And so we showed that that clip on the podcast and then called into question like, what are y'all doing? Like, you, you can't go out in a small. I mean. I know you guys look up to shows like GCW and stuff like that, and they're dropping F-bombs and yeah. they're doing death matches, but they're in bars. They're in places most of the time. They're in adult settings. Only allow adults, and people knew what they were signing up for. Yeah. Like, but these fans that's been bringing their children to the Civic Center for the last four or five years, and now all of a sudden you're dropping F-bombs, and we were watching Austin Theory out here wrestling, and now we're watching a four-foot-tall girl carrying a belt that's bigger than she is. Like, what are we doing? And of course, you know, we were we were the assholes for for questions. Of course, of course, you know, we're we're terrible people. We're killing the business. Let them have one of the one of the kids that are one of their main guys come back and says, "Well, if y'all go to shit on stuff, why can't you just let us have our fun?" I'm like, because people having their fun is killing the entire business, yes. and that's a whole other podcast. But. It, it it really is. I mean, because we could probably be here all night talking about that, but. 
yeah, if if you speak out about something and you bring logical points, nine times out of ten, you're in the minority on it, and it just goes over these people's heads, and they have no idea why you're saying what you're saying, and they're not willing to listen to it. And speaking of that, like I, I've noticed because I kept up with that what that promotion was doing because that's when I was uh, quasi out of the business, and you would see the crowds. I'd see the pictures of when Flint was working there. And it, gradually over time, you'd see those crowds slowly decreasing. And you using that example right there, I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to shit on anybody, but that's a prime example of why you go from those large crowds to maybe 40 people at the most. That's... Yeah. Ugh. It's like, it's like the, we're shitting on you guys having for fun because it's not... You're not there to have fun. I mean, it's, yeah, do enjoy it, but you're there to do business. You're there to... That's the key word. You know, you're killing wrestling for everyone else. And that's why, quite frankly, between that um, and the fact that going out in front of a strange crowd and saying things to make them laugh is a challenge. Yeah. It's always a challenge. It's always, you know, this crowd's not going to be like the last crowd, even at the same venue a lot of times. And so there's a challenge to that. Mm -hmm. I have to constantly work and, you know, mold my, my set and all that. And at this point, man, like, it's not a challenge to go out and make a bunch of wrestling fans boo me. Right. It's not hard. Absolutely. It's not hard. And I, I don't enjoy it anymore. It's not fun. Like I said, yeah. I enjoy doing commentary. There's not a lot of opportunities right now. There right, are a unfortunately. There are places that I could probably go if I wanted to, but I watch their shows online, and, like, I couldn't put that over. Like, I, I, I'm not going to go to somebody's show and shit on it, but I'm not going to sit here and make it, you know, make out like it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah clearly bad but i don't enjoy going and managing and you know having people yell at me and me yell at them it's just like it's it's not fun it's not challenging it's like they're like oh you got so much heat out there like yeah i mean like okay i mean i know what buttons to push at this point it's, it's not yeah. that hard but man when you go up and you've got a set that you've done in front of numerous crowds and it's worked every time and you go out tonight and just crash and burn it's not a fun ride home, but during you're in your head, like, what could I have done differently? Where yeah, it's a learning experience. And so what can I do better? And that, to me, is fun. That's challenging. And it's, you know, every time I go out there, it, it I have, you know, the nerves and, and, you know, it's, okay, is this going to be good? Is it not? Or is, you know, and I get to the wrestling show and it's just like, all right, let's go do this. Yeah, they always say when you're not nervous anymore, it's time to stop doing it. That's the truth. Like it's time to stop because I'm not nervous. I'm just annoyed and ready to go home. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I I I get that 100 percent because that's where I was the first, second, and third times I tried to walk away from it. It just it, it wasn't fun. It was you had to fight for money, and you had all these guys that hadn't even been for half the time and that you were didn't even really have gear, and it just. Some would work for free, some would bring their family so they get booked, and therefore the promoter wouldn't want to pay you. You know, it was just it, it was just ridiculous, and it stopped being fun, but it, it ebbs and flows. But you actually led into something with the comedy there that I was going to ask, and you, you kind of answered it. But in a way, though, do you feel like the wrestling prepared you for stand-up comedy? Oh, absolutely. So, a little quick little bit of backstory on that. So... I wasn't a sports fan when I was a kid. I didn't like baseball, football. I mean, I like to play baseball, and I like to play football in the backyard, but I didn't right. follow it, didn't watch it. 
Uh, I liked watching wrestling. I liked watching stand-up comedy. And oddly enough, the very first stand-up comedy show I remember ever watching, he had Cinemax when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. Bill Cosby himself. Oh, man. Every other day, and I could quote that when I was a kid. I watched it. I mean, it's not a popular thing to say these days. Right, right. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, but I remember watching that, and then later, me and my friend Brad, got a hold of his older sister's Richard Pryor album. Oh, my God. And, of course, we were young enough that we really didn't get half of it. It's just funny because this guy, is, he, he sounds funny. He's doing voices. And yeah. So, I mean, that's tremendous. And then eventually, you know, Eddie Murphy Delirious, Eddie Murphy Raw, and all that. So, fast forward to uh, I'm married to my first wife. She hates wrestling. Kind of removes that from my life, at least right. going and doing it. But she did like comedy. So me and her went to a comedy show in Birmingham at the Stardome, and they had flyers up for their open mic. So I was like, hey, I'd like to come try that sometime. So um, wrote some stuff, and I started going and doing that open mic uh, every – they did it like every two or three months. And she would go with me. as something we could go do together, and there wasn't any fighting or griping or any of that. And uh, that was the big thing is like as you would sit back there with all these other guys, everybody's big hang up is they were scared to death to go on stage. Yeah. And where I did have nerves as far as like, are they going to laugh? I didn't. I mean, it didn't bother me at all to go up in front of people. Right. And it didn't bother me if the reaction was negative because, you know, I've done been there and done that. So it helped me tremendously on that front. Like I didn't have any nervousness about going in front of a crowd or any of that kind of thing. And people have always, like, as I've met new people in comedy, they always say, man, you know, I wish I had your confidence. I wish I was able to just walk out there and, you know, because yeah. <laughs> Steve, Steve Pleasing, a buddy of mine who now plays Delbert Jenkins, Whitey Jenkins' cousin, uh, <laughs> came and did a show with me on New Year's Eve. He's always wanted to do stand-up. Right. And so, like, come up, come open for me. And he did. And after it was over, he just carried on and on. He's like... Man, he's like, you're so comfortable up there. He's like, and I figured you'd be pretty good, but I didn't think you'd be that, like, dude, you was hilarious. And I was like, well, man, I've been doing it off and on since 2006. Like, you know, I wow. put a lot of time in, especially last year, I went once or twice a month the entire year, sometimes more, sometimes less, but right. I went steadily all year long to that club down in Aniston. And I alternate between. This is another exclusive. I've never said this out loud anywhere, I don't think. Uh, alternate between I've got a set for Gene and a set for Whitey. So oh, sometimes I do Whitey. And then so the club owner was like, you know what would be fun? He said, because these people that, like, there's people that will come on Friday night and they come on Saturday night and not realize it's the same person. Said, oh my what god if did, what if you did both in the same show if you opened as, as gene and then came out later as whitey and i did it and most <laughs> people in the room didn't know <laughs> and so to me it's not very andy kaufman-esque so yeah that's, you know and that's why i've never talked about it openly because i always wanted to but now that i figure if i'm out of the wrestling business there's no kayfabe in comedy right I'll right I'll show up looking just like I do right now, and Flint, the owner of the club, will be like, hey, it's Whitey, and I'm like, kayfabe, and he's like, what? And I'm like, nothing. She's dead. <laughs> but, uh, anyway. But I've, you know, I've gone back and forth, and so, but the one thing is, I told him, I was like, I don't want to do both in the same night anymore, because it is a pain in the ass trying to remember two different sets. Right, right. Impressive. 
and now I've kind of integrated a lot of the material like where I can use it as either one. Um, like I went and opened for Cassio Kid in uh, Huntsville at Stand Up Live uh, Friday before New Year's, and I did ten minutes and it it killed. Like I got nice. a really great reaction, but it was a mixture of jokes that I had been doing as Gene and a mixture of jokes I had done as Whitey. Right, right. Um, and then the next night I did thirty minutes as Whitey as the, you know, it was a mix of both and and got good reactions to that. But um, I, it's it's. I enjoy doing it, and again, like I say, there's a challenge to it, and uh, I just I have a lot more fun doing it than wrestling. But the funny thing is, comedy, the, the stand-up comedy world at this level is so similar to wrestling. Oh, I don't doubt it. I getting don't doubt it. Getting into it and the money and all that crap, it's 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 like getting out of one thing and going. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost like starting over again, it, you know, in a way. It's so crazy because I've had that same conversation with so many people where it's like wrestling, whether you know it or not, prepares you for all this stuff, or it opens your eyes to all this stuff you probably wouldn't have noticed or thought was conspiracy theory you're just making up in your head. Like, it literally is ingrained in everything you do to an extent. It's so ridiculous. It is. But, but oh, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I definitely, if I, if I never was involved in wrestling again, if nothing else, my because I've never done anything of any note on any large level that anybody's really going to remember. Uh, but if nothing else, it serves the purpose of preparing me for for this. I gotcha. And, and not to say I'll get anywhere doing this, but at least at forty five years old, I have a better chance of doing something substantial in comedy than I do in wrestling at this point. Because how many how many commentary positions are there in the in the three promotions that do TV? Right. On a, a substantial level. Right. You know? Well, man, like you, you actually brought up a few things that I'm going to use to round out my questions. And then I've got a few that I was told I have to ask you about before we flip the switch <laughs> and let you ask me some. But you, you mentioned Cassio Kid. I'm a huge fan of that guy. And he's very tightly associated with Conrad Thompson and his podcast network. And you get a lot of shout-outs on their episodes. Um, what, is, what does that mean to you to have your name out there to that level with this insane audience that tunes into these podcasts and shows religiously. What does that mean to you? Well, okay, so here's the funny thing about that. So I mentioned I started out doing uh, open mics at the Stardome. Right. So at the time, I was, I'm was i back in Gadsden now. I've moved off and back since. But at the time, uh, I was living in Gadsden. I was working uh, for, as assistant manager at the Walgreens. And um, I went to I went to do the open mics, and that's when Cassio was starting out in comedy, and he was doing open mics too. Oh wow! Uh, he's from Gadsden. He went to school in Gadsden, and he was at the time he was doing uh, the Rick and Bubba show. He was an intern on the Rick and Bubba show, mm-hmm. which is a huge radio show in Alabama and across the southeast at one point. Well, anyway, two of the girls that I worked with at Walgreens went to school with Cassio in Gadsden. So, um, we kind of connected through that. He's like, oh, you work with, you know, Cam and them and blah, blah, blah. Right. So we saw each other at the open mics and, and kind of got to know each other that way. And at that point, we really didn't even connect on the wrestling level. Uh, but he ended up getting a job in Huntsville in radio there, a sports show with a guy named Cole Kubelik. Yep. And yep. so, uh, 
he he knew I did wrestling podcast and knew I was in wrestling and all this. So he hit me up and he's like, "Hey, um, didn't you didn't you do a podcast with Bruno San Martino one time?" I was like, "Yeah, I did." I was wow. like, "It was through it was through a guy who helped publish his book. They were re-releasing his book, and that guy actually came to me of all of all things. He actually came to me and was like, "Hey, I like your podcast. You know, I like your you know you." take it seriously and you do your research he's like would you <laughs> i swear to god his words were would you be willing to interview bruno san martino and i was like yeah i think i would you know, <laughs> I, I think i can fit that in yeah just for you but anyway i still knew sal uh sal corrente who's done a lot of uh, he did the wrestle reunion uh, com- uh conventions and things like that so i uh, said yeah i could help you get so i reached out to sal and we got bruno on their radio show and i ended up getting a few different wrestling guests on there and nice. then i came up and did the show a couple of times and promoted uh at the time cheap heat radio the podcast i was doing and it, right. and it got me a lot of listeners and subscribers well when he left there he went to rocket 95.1 which is where he's at now mm-hmm. and him and jimbo wood have the number one radio you know show in the Huntsville market. Yep. Which is why we had 300 people at that comedy show I did for him. Uh, but anyway, in doing that, he met Conrad because Conrad does a ton of advertising on that station. And oh, several yeah. stations throughout Huntsville. Um, and so he got to know Conrad there. Um, I've met Conrad a few times. I kind of, I mean, I, I, I guess you'd say I know him. I don't know him well. I'm not right, on the right. inside track to go hang out to Conradus, and I'm working on it, but I'm still not quite there <laughs> Right, yet. right. One day, uh, one day. But I, I, when I found out that I le- he at least knows who I am pretty well, we, me and uh, me and Neil and Rosie went to uh, Bruce Pritchard's lot, one of his live shows. Oh, nice, nice. And we were in the line, and we walked up, and he's like, hey, what's your name? And Conrad goes, this is Gene Jackson. He does a podcast, a wrestling podcast, and he's friends with Casio, and he opened for Casio because Casio did a show at uh, the Ritz Theater down here in Alabama City, and I opened for him a few right. years back. Damn, that's cool. And, uh, and, and uh, strangely enough, on that show, it was me, him, uh, and Corey Ryan Forrester. Oh, love that guy. Hadn't, who hadn't took off yet. Right. He was just on the verge of it. Like That was like a year before... He really took off with the you know the guys he does comedy with. So yeah, I got to yeah I got to open for both of them, so that was fun. So when I did this show for Casio uh, Friday before New Year's, Conrad was out in the crowd. Like I got on stage and I seen this big Conrad head out there, and I'm like, is that one of those signs people have? Like, no, that's actually Conrad's head. That, that's Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so uh, after the show, I wanted to get over and talk to him. But he got swarmed. I don't doubt it. Like, and so I seen him working his way towards the door, and I was like, ah, crap, I didn't get to talk to him. But he sent me a, a private message on Facebook uh, the next day, and he's like, hey, man, you killed it last night. Great job. Hope y'all do good tonight, which I was like, holy shit, that was cool. You know? That's awesome. So, yeah, I guess that's the long way around to answer your question. Is like, it, yeah, it is pretty cool. And uh, I, I'm, I'm ha- I've, I've messaged... Uh, you know, Casio when he got the gig with Road Dog, yeah, and uh, we've talked back and forth and and about that. And of course, when I did that show with him, he had just got to do a podcast with Flair the day before, right? Right. The internet was out, <laughs> and so now he's done one with Jr. and Flair and Bischoff and Shivani and all of them. Um, 
So I'm hoping to finagle that into at least one trip to the Conrassen one of these days. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man. And speaking of Road Dog, I'm still not sure if he hates me or not, but that that's a different story. <laughs> but, uh, so, like, that man, that is fantastic. Like, it's, it's just so cool how all of it comes together and... Like you just see the hard work paying off for not only you but Cassio and obviously for Conrad as well. That is awesome. But before we jump off the stand-up comedy, because that's something that I, I'm not gonna lie, I'm interested in. I tried to make it a goal to do in this last year, but it didn't happen of the shit show of a year it was. But it's still on my to-do list. I've done improv, I do you know live theater and all that fun stuff. But I want to do stand-up comedy. Is there any advice you would give to somebody that's wanting to get into that? It's it's harder than it looks. Yeah. Uh, most people think, and I'm sure you've done enough research and know enough about it to know better, but just for mm-hmm. people listening, uh, so many people think, hey, you're funny. You're the funny guy at work, or you're the funny guy in our friend circle. Right. Go get on the stage and be funny. Yeah, just be uh, that's funny. Not, that's not how it works at all, and you know, whether you realize it or not, you know what makes your friends laugh. You know what makes your coworkers laugh. And yeah. to, um, to A, be able to come up with material that you can go in front of a crowd of strangers who you don't particularly know. And a lot of times you don't know what kind of crowd they're going to be, what age group, what, you know, whatever. Um, it's challenging. And like I say, you can go up one weekend and kill in this venue and go to the next venue and eh, not so much. Or I've gone to Stardome and killed and went back a month later in front of the same venue but a different audience and and ate shit uh, more than once. Right. Um, But the other thing, the the real challenging thing, and you, you can't get too much into your head because I did. At one time, I was subscribed to... Serious XM and listen mm-hmm. to all those comedy channels. Right, right. Which is fine, but it makes it hard to write because every idea you have is like, oh, that's too close to what yeah. so did. Or, oh, this is similar to this. Or somebody's going to think I took this from that. Right, right. Oh, my God, there's 10,000 comedians out there now. That's actually probably a lot more than that. Yeah. There's going to be similar lines of thinking. There's going to be popular topics that everybody's going to talk about. Of course. About. So you can't get too much into your head you know, about that sort of thing. But at the same time, you have to kind of, you know, be aware of, you know, what's out there, who's out there, and not be too much like anybody, you know, everybody yeah. else. Kind of have your own voice. That was one thing about when I started doing those open mics in 06. At the time, you could go, and me and Cassio would sit back there and kind of do this. Like, you could point at the stage, and if, if there was 15 people that went up, 12 of them you could point at and go, that guy's doing Mitch Hedberg. That yeah. guy's doing David Tell. That guy's doing Dane Cook. That guy's doing Larry the Cable Guy. And it was just, I mean, they had their mannerisms. I mean, they were doing everything, but just straight up doing their material. And some people were doing their material. Right. Um, so it's okay to be, uh, you know, influenced by someone, but you can't, you got to be careful not to let it uh, take over. But... I mean, just a little bit. I owe you, and uh, listening to your podcast, and and you know, hearing you know Jeremy Flint tell stories and everything. Uh, I think you could do well at it. Oh, thank and, you, uh, thank you. I truly appreciate I, that. I, 
I've got an in with this club down here in Aniston. Uh, that that guy lets me pretty much go up. He would let me be there every weekend if I would agree. Oh, to. nice. Uh, and so I've got an in down there. So if you ever uh, if you ever want a, a stage to start out on, it's not just a straight up open mic somewhere. Yeah, let me know and I can make that happen. I may I may have to take you up on that. I'm gonna put it out in the world and hold myself to it. So I'm I may be seeing you here soon. And get Jeremy Flint down there. If anybody ever needs to be on a comedy stage, yeah. it's that guy. And I've been chipping away at him for a long time, but uh, he's not real receptive. I'll, I'll see what I can do on that. But, man, okay, so speaking of him, like, you, you have set this transition up perfectly here. So I, I got to know so that he doesn't, you know, jump up and kick me in the head. Tell me, tell me about the first time you met him at the Carnage Cup and how you got heat with him for using Duran Duran. <laughs> um <laughs> so all right so let me back up um i i the first time i the first couple times i've, I've seen jeremy he was working a show for will owens over in scottsboro oh will and owens we were friends on facebook and so uh he sees he spots me and my wife out in the audience and he's yelling shit at us and we're yelling shit at him <laughs> and then eventually we get around to uh to meeting him at one of the shows, Carnage Cup, I guess it was, maybe. Right. But um, what you're referring to is I was managing him and Will Owens. And at the time, so when I was in, uh, uh, back up a little bit to set this up, I'll make it quick, but when I was in uh, Piedmont for Pro South, I started coming out to uh, Let's Roll by Yellow Wolf arbitrarily picked it because I thought it was a cool song. Right, right. And I noticed the first few times I come out to it, the song would start playing, and the crowd's like, yeah! And then they would see me like, yeah, boo! <laughs> and so we were driving home, and my wife's like, you know that song, like when people hear it, their first inclination is to cheer because they like the song, but then they see you and they boo. She's like, you need a song that they're going to boo from the word go that they're not going to like. They're going to have to right. respect for. <clears throat> I was like, yeah, we need to come up with something. Well, I walked in the room and she was watching that movie Donnie Darko, which is the weirdest. I don't know if you ever watched that. But it's a weird ass. I've, movie. I've seen anyway, bits and pieces, but yeah, in I agree. The course of it, there's a scene where these girls are dancing to that song, Notorious by Duran Duran, and uh, she goes, "That's what y'all to come out to." And I sat there, man, I'm like an '80s Duran Duran song. I'm like, yeah, nobody's gonna respect that shit. Like, yeah, let's do it. So. That's what I started coming out to at Pro South. So every time, as soon as the opening chords would start, you know, <laughs> perfect. That's what a heel needs. So, exactly. So Jeremy Flint, I meet him, and he's coming out to Wheel in the Sky. He's coming out to, to this all kinds of just odd. <laughs> right. At one point, me and him were supposed, we knew we were going to tag on a show in Mississippi. He was going to ride down there with me. And me and him debated for a week on what song to come out to. He's like, let's... So at the time, just to set the, the stage, I, I come out in, like, motorcycle boots and a Harley-Davidson vest and a bandana. He's coming out with a chain around his neck. And he's like, let's come out to Baker Street. Yes! And, like, and I go like, what the fuck is Baker Street? Oh, he's my like, God. I'm like... How does that suit either one of us? It's like, it don't matter. I'm like, no. And so we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, we landed on, uh, I think, Wild Side by Kit or Mount Molly Crew or something. 
Man, anyway. It's so funny you mentioned Baker Street, though, because what we talked about on Cheap Heat where we wrestled in slow motion and absolutely disgusted Bill Dundee, Baker Street is what I used for that match. <laughs> so it's so funny how that... I had to come around full circle. Yeah. And this would engage a whole other conversation. Oh, there! Trust I'll me, I'll tease, I'll just tease it, and if we if we do another podcast, we, we can talk about it. Oh, we we so will because we didn't even get into Whitey Jenkins. At one, yeah, at one time, uh, I was going to, and I did eventually. I ended up working him on a DVD, but I, I was going to go do five dollar wrestling in Charlotte. Oh man, I'm, I'm so like, jealous. I'm, not gonna, I'm like, I'm not going to be Gene Jackson, so I invented a character, a mask, a, a old school Memphis gimmick. And it was Megastar Memphis Monroe. And just for Flint, my interest music was Baker Street. Oh, that's amazing. He was very proud of. So anyway, oh, we'll tell that story another time. Because there's a lot of fun stories that go along with that character. Yeah, I, I have anyway, a feeling we're going to have multiple chats. Because there's a lot we didn't even cover here tonight. <laughs> back, back to where this all started. We're in uh, Hartsel for New South. And we're getting ready to go out. And I'm managing Flint and Will Owen. At that point, I don't remember even remember what Flint was coming out to most of the time. I think he was coming out to whatever that old music Vader used to come out to back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Production music. And so Will Owens was coming out to Wild Thing, yep. obviously. And so and so Dump or whoever was doing the music like, what are y'all coming out to? Like, play my music. So we get ready to go out the curtain and that Notorious starts. And him and Will are freaking beside themselves. God dang it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> oh, like, that's amazing. But yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's good. Oh man. Well, I think that's a that that's a perfect way to wrap up my portion of questions, but I'm gonna pull you quasi back into the wrestling business a little bit and we're gonna call it in the ring now because you're the vet in this regard. You're calling the spots, you're asking the questions. I don't know what we're doing. I've got my Mouth shut, my ears open, so I'm all ears for any questions that you want to throw my way at this point. All right, I've got a few. All right. A couple of them are, are, are kind of hacky if we're, if we're still using comedy lingo, but the first one is based off of something that came up during uh, Cheap Heat TV. Absolutely. If, if, if you're listening to this and you miss the Cheap Heat TV Live episode with Flynn, it is out there. You can find it at CheapHeatTVLive.com. It's out there in a video and audio version. And I'll have a link in the show notes, too. Awesome. Okay, so question number one. How would you have booked Ric Flair's last match? Against oh. who? Whatever. Yeah, so this... Um, and this is actually going to encourage people to go listen to this episode of the, uh, the Flint Hendricks Experience. Name credit to Jeremy Flint for that. But in all honesty, I would have had him close WrestleMania with Edge for the World Heavyweight title. It just, it makes sense to me because Shawn Michaels was already a made man. You could have done that at the pay-per-view beforehand. You could have made him look like he was about to get that one last title run and then just have Edge completely fuck him and get that huge heel heat going into resuming his feud with Undertaker the next month. So he closes the show, 
He gets the big pyro send-off, and he's doing it in a match that's synonymous with the title that he's most known for. And somebody gets a rub off of it, too. That's just how I would have done it. I like it. I like it. Thank you. I mean, I think what they did worked. Yeah, it did. It didn't do anything for Shawn Michaels. Exactly. Like you said, uh, it would have done so much more for Edge, and like you say, the heat it would have put on him. Yeah. And and in regards to that, too, like something I'd, I'd... think I said it on that episode, but like I would have honestly put, you know, Sean in the triple threat match for the WWE title because Randy Orton had history with all three of those guys. He gets the win and gets a bigger rub. And then Undertaker could have worked a handicap match against Hawkins and Ryder and given them a big WrestleMania moment. It's that's just how my mind thought of it. But yeah, I, I, that's just what I would have done. Okay, so the second question is the one that I, I'm sure people will find hacky, but I'm fascinated to hear your answer because of the time frame where I know you came into wrestling, but yeah. I also know you, you study wrestling. So, who is on your Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling? Okay, man, so this um, this is probably not going to be popular in a lot of regards, but for sure, Shawn Michaels, Eddie Guerrero, I'm going to also put up there, I mean, you got to put uh, Hogan up there for a lot of people, but in all honesty, I would put Piper, because without Piper, Hogan wouldn't have had a strong heel to work with. Sorry, and then, and today, this is one that I, I have the utmost respect for this guy and everything he does, and it's something that I want to do, but I got to put The Miz up there, because that guy is like the ultimate company player that fits every piece they need him to do. He's a multiple-time champion, and you can just put him anywhere, and he's worked with everybody, and nobody's ever gotten hurt. So he, he's just like the most well-rounded person I could think of in that regard. I went to a WWE house show in Birmingham mm-hmm. a few years back, and I watched The Miz get more heat than I've ever seen yeah. have on, a, on a WWE live event. I mean, it's just a regular house show. He tried to work the mic, and he couldn't get any words out because they were booing so loudly. And you know what right. this is? Yeah. He finally just gave up. <laughs> and just went on to work the match. And I walked away from that with so much. I already respected the guy, but I had yeah. so much respect for him. It's like, damn, man, he's getting over. Um, so, uh, and just very quickly, mine would be Flair, Brett, HBK, and Hogan. Fan- I, you can't go wrong with that either. That's all. That's four fantastic guys right there. Uh, th- third question would be, what do you find most rewarding about podcasting? Man, I think the biggest thing, um, it, it's kind of twofold, but one, I, I find out that I have a lot more in common with these people that I'm either friends with or have looked up to because there's somebody that's been on TV or been a voice on TV or a teacher, you know, that I've known, but I have so much more in common with them than I ever would have realized. And then on top of that too, it also humanizes them because they go through a lot of the same struggles that we go through, but everybody has that celebrity worship or that idol worship where they can do no wrong or they're superhuman so they don't get depression or whatever like we do. But they go through the same struggles we do and it's it's very reassuring to know that you're not alone and that somebody you've looked up to has gone through the same things and come out the other side. So it's just a way of, of giving hope to know that like this road bump or this 
this block you hit is not going to be the ultimate setback and derail you. There, you're going to come back from it. And this person did it too that you thought was an overnight success. So it's just humanizing people and then getting a deeper relationship with people that I've considered friends or someone that I've looked up to. It's it's a twofold answer. Absolutely. I like it. Uh, Benny, get out of the way. Um, all right. So this one, I'm going to make sure I word it right. Okay. Uh, so if you had to show someone who had no knowledge and absolutely no context of professional wrestling, whether they just came down on a spaceship or somehow they lived a sheltered enough life that they just didn't know anything about it, really understand it. If you had to pick one match to show them, to kind of define to them what wrestling is, what match would that be? Without hesitation, fire up WrestleMania 21, pull up Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle. That's all I can show them. I like it. I like that a lot. Question number five. All right. And I have to say, someone put me up to this. (laughs) Will you give Donnie five more minutes? (laughs) I don't even know what Donnie's doing these days. He may still be at that old auto garage trying to get in for a show that's not going to happen. But absolutely, I'll make him think I'm giving him five more minutes if he's still around. (laughs) I was told to ask that on TV. I'm like, no, I'm saving that for your podcast. I'll go ahead and give the backstory on that one because it's so, oh my God, it's so hilarious. But we did a, we used to do a show down in McMinnville and Flint would come to these shows too. But there was this guy that would sit over in the same spot every week. These shows were done out of a little old like mechanics garage. He would sit by the door with his mom and possibly his sister, his cousin. She may have been both. But... (laughs) Every time a heel would win a match, and he would want the baby face to challenge him again, and he would just chant, Five more minutes! Five more minutes! And if if guys would have, uh, you know, initials, like there was a guy called Bad Boy Dixon, so he would call him by his initials, and he would just be obnoxiously loud yelling, B-B-D! And just like, like I, I don't know, it's like the most redneck stereotypical fan you could get. And I would get heat off the guy for calling him Donald. Not calling him Donnie, calling him Donald. I'd tell him, you're not getting five more minutes, Donald. And you can tell your cousin mother or whatever he is to keep her mouth shut. And she would start screaming, his name's Donnie, it's not Donald. You call him Donnie, goddammit. And just, <laughs> oh, it was, that. Flint would get a kick out of that just watching it from the curtain. And when he did the lion cock spot, you know, he got down on his knee and put his fist up. Everybody's farting out for it, and Donnie's just sitting there chanting for it. Five more minutes! Five more minutes! It's, uh, it's like you you hear about Chicken Hat in Nashville, then you got this guy down in McMinnville, and it's it's just legendary. Every show has one. Yep. That's what's great. It is, yeah, at least one. And sometimes more, but yeah. always at least one. Don't let them get in a group, though. Then it's scary. <laughs> Oh, man, but fantastic questions, fantastic questions. And I'll have to touch base with the person that wanted that question asked after the fact and let him know that the deed was done. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, please do, because I'm sure he was disappointed I didn't I didn't deliver. But he messaged me. He's like, did you ask? I haven't heard it yet. And I'm like, I'm saving the one. I'm oh. Like, I'm I, asked, I asked one of your questions, but I'm saving the other questions. Matter of right, fact, right. while we're while we're on uh, air here, I will go ahead and do it right now. <laughs> All right, there we go. Oh, man, that was fantastic. And like I was saying earlier, this is probably, I guess, our second chat amongst many that will be coming down the road because this was an absolute blast. And we didn't even scratch the surface on Whitey Jenkins or Chuck the Truck or any of these other guys, Big Stan Vader, like so much stuff we could have dove into. So we're going to have to have some some follow-ups on this and some more cheap heat, you know, in the Jackson interaction. We got to get all that in there. Oh yeah, we we got plenty to talk about, and yeah, Whitey Jenkins is a fun topic because he covers both grounds because he's comedy, obviously, right? Uh, but he's a parody of about three different wrestling promoters. And oh, fantastic! That's where it, that's where it comes from, and it, and it wasn't ever intended to be what it's become. Right, that's always the There's best. Something. Now, and now I can't. To go there. Now I can't wait for that. But man, just like me, you guys are gonna have to wait until we make that recording happen. But trust me, it's going to come. So in the meantime, if you haven't yet, go hit that subscribe button. Go check us out. It's on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe, rate, share, review. Tell your friends so they don't miss it either. And like I said earlier, we're going to have links to Cheap Heat TV in the show notes. You can go check out my interview there. You can go check out the other great guests that Gene has had on there. And I'm going to have links so you can keep up with Gene and any stand-up comedy that he's got going on. So make sure... You get connected with me, you get connected with Gene, you follow the show and keep up with everything we got going on. But man, Gene, I gotta thank you for fighting through the technical difficulties with me to be here tonight and just, man, having an absolute blast because this has flown by. Oh, it was so worth it, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, Like I said, I've been looking forward to it and uh, I look forward to doing it again and we'll get you on uh, my plethora of podcasts and uh, like I said, we've got no shortage of things to talk about. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Well, guys, on that note, we're going to catch you next week. But before we close it out here, we're going to take one last word from our sponsors. And I know you hear me. People have always asked me, Flynn, how do I become a professional wrestler? How do I become an actor? How do I become a podcaster? How do I get an agent? Well, if you're somebody that's asked these questions, then I've got the solution for you. I'm now offering coaching options that will help you find the answers to these questions and get on the path to success. So if you've been held back by fear, overthinking, or just don't know where to start, email me at dflynnhendricks at gmail.com, use the subject line coaching, and let me get in your corner and help get you on the path to success. And I know you hear me. I Know You Hear Me podcast is a presentation of Flynn Hendricks Enterprises. We thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you'll check out our sponsors and advertisers. Make sure you check us out next week as we come back at the same time with another awesome episode.